Coming up, today's the day we're voting on our fourth and final member of our Vikings, Mount Rushmore, and we need your help to do it. It's coming up next on today's Throwback Tuesday edition of the Football Party. Locked on Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next-level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings' Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Back in the lab, another edition, Football Party, Lockdown Sports Minnesota Network, daily breakdown, everything Minnesota Vikings. That's Sam Ekstrom on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom. He's the co-host of the Ron Johnson Show every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Big day today, Sam. It's Vikings Mount Rushmore Day. We got Moss. Mm -hmm. We got Sir Alan Page up there. We got Fran the Man Tarkington locked in. And honestly, I mean, all things being equal, that was kind of the easy part. Now comes the hard part today. We got to narrow down the list to the final four options so the people listening at home can vote on our fourth and final member of our Vikings, Mount Rushmore. Then if we got time a little bit later on, I got some rapid-fire Vikings and NFL talkers we'll get into. Think we can do it today? What do you say? I think we are going to come up with a list of four great Vikings, and we are going to enrage someone, some people, who think that we've snubbed another great Viking. I I guarantee you that's what's going to happen. That's good foreshadowing. Feels like that's what's on deck today, Sam. All right, our 30 minutes starts now. First things first, though, quick reminder. Don't forget this episode. It's brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. All right, Sam, here we go. We've spent weeks building up our Vikings Mount Rushmore with the first pick. I took Alan Page. Following week, you mm -hmm. took Randy Moss. We came together and agreed on Fran Tarkenton for the third pick two weeks ago. Now here's the premise. We let the people decide. All you out there listening at home, you get to vote on our fourth and final member up on the Locked On Minnesota Sports YouTube community page. But it's up to Sam and myself to narrow down the best four options to vote on on today's episode. So I say we alternate and each throw out two options. We'll plead our case why that guy is one of the top four options left. If one of us wants to veto someone, they can, but you got to have someone in mind to replace him. Then later we'll throw up the poll. Mm -hmm. I'll leave that up until I suppose next week's episode, next Tuesday, then we'll unveil the fourth and final member and announce our official Vikings Mount Rushmore of the 2023 offseason. This is what you do, Sam, during the summer abyss. And I think it's just a good way to take a trip down memory lane in the process. I just want to yeah. remind people, this is a Hall of Fame Vikings players only. So no Bud Grant, no AP because he's not voted in yet. And then one more time again, make sure you go up on the Locked On Minnesota Sports YouTube community page. If you're already listening to this, the poll is up. It's live. Make sure you go in and get your vote in. Have at it. There's a laundry list of guys to choose from. I know it's not going to be easy. I got about 10 different names written down myself, all worthy of these final four spots. So I'm awfully curious which four guys will trim this down to. Yeah, you're my guest. Your honor, your honor. Have at it. Who you got? All right. 
appreciate that. Well, I've got one that I feel pretty good about. And then I've got two candidates for my last spot. And I still haven't decided in this moment, have not decided which one I'm going to go with. I'm going to have to talk it out with you. Let's do the easy one. Jim Marshall, Purple People Eater. I know we already have Alan Page, but I don't think we can deny that Jim Marshall is still one of the all-time great Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Believe it or not, traded to Minnesota. They did not draft him. Traded to Minnesota in 1961 for their inaugural season in exchange for draft picks by the Cleveland Browns. It's a rough trade. Rough trade by the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Played every single game from 61 to 79. In other words, through 1979, Jim Marshall had played in every Minnesota Vikings game ever because he was an inaugural Viking. 270 games. An Iron Man in a time where the game was very physical. Uh, Jim Marshall, 30 fumble recoveries. That was an NFL record. 130 and a half sacks, second in team history behind Carl Eller, part of the Purple People Eaters and that mystique and all of those Super Bowl teams. Jim Marshall, I think, has got to be on the list to be the fourth Mount Rushmore man. What do you think? Ah, man, it's tough to argue, man. Like you said, second all-time in sack history for the Vikings. That Iron Man streak, can you say it one more time? Because that Iron Man streak is out of this world. There's guys who have played seven, eight, nine consecutive seasons, and that's outstanding just given the position that they played. But for him to play such a grueling position back in that era, no less, is just unheard of nowadays. And you know who broke the Iron, Iron Man streak too? Brett Favre. 271 uh, career starts, or that was the number that he hit to uh, to break right. the record. But Marshall, through 1961 to 1979, Jeez. 270 career starts at a very physical position. Crazy. Impressive. Can't go wrong with that. I figured he would be one of the four to get flung out, if I'm being honest. And out of all these guys, I mean, Jim Marshall has good of a chance to get voted in as any of them. So I like it. Uh, My first guy I'll fling out, I'll get to all the accolades and the resume in a sec, but he kind of reminds me of Alan Page, the first pick, and the fact that he did have such a huge impact on the state of Minnesota, both on and off the field, just like Alan Page did. And you said it. The very first week we started this whole thing, when they first made the real Mount Rushmore, there was tons of presidents they considered that had a strong case to be made. But end of the day, the four guys up there, they all had, you know, monumental impacts on the way we look at the world and our country and a huge part of our history that did something above and beyond that was special or unique. And the guys we picked so far, Moss, Page, Fran, all changed the game shaped a part of football as we know it. Fran, the way we look at running quarterbacks. Moss changed the way we look at wide receivers. Alan Page, obviously not just a monster on the field, but what he did off the field, Supreme Court, helped build schools in the community. He was the total package. So Carl Eller, my first candidate today, the Vikings all-time sack leader, not Alan Page, not John Randall, not Jim Marshall, Sir Carl, 131 sacks, over 1,000 yards worth of sacks if you add it up. 10 football fields worth of sack, Sam, in 209 games, by the way. So Jim Marshall, granted, he's got the Ironman streak, 
but he's right behind him with 128 sacks, I think I looked up. Played 61 more games, though, is my point. Carl Eller was averaging 0.6 sacks per game. It did that 209 games in a row. Jim Marshall averaged closer to about 0.4 per game. Both are absolutely wild in their own right, but I think it's only right to have the Vikings all-time sack leader up on the Vikings' Mount Rushmore. And if that doesn't do it for you, just some quick, fun facts you got to know. Grows up in North Carolina. Commits to the U of M, though. So goes to Minnesota. Yeah. Goes up north. Helps the Gophers win their first Rose Bowl in 1962 over UCLA, 21-3. to So you got a Golden Gopher legend on the resume. Comes out of the draft. Top 10 pick. Six overall. Immediately. Helps form those purple people leaders and all those magical seasons, late 60s, early 7s. Seven All-Pros, six Pro Bowls, but maybe the most impressive is the fact he won Defensive Player of the Year in 1971. Off the field, did a bunch of crazy great things too. Licensed drug and alcohol counselor, founded the Triumph Life Center in 1986. Then he earns his degree in human services in 94, ends up working for the Minnesota Department of Human Services the next decade and a half. So quick recap, Golden Gopher legend, helped them win their first Rose Bowl, Vikings all-time sack leader, Defensive Player of the Year, and then huge positive impact on the community off the field once he retired. I know it's a tough list here, Sam, Carl Eller absolutely needs to be mentioned, though, and talked about as the fourth and final member of our Vikings Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I'm not going to veto that one. That absolutely, he absolutely belongs. I think that, you know, the the whole Purple People Leaders defensive line really uh, needs to be a candidate there. I'm sure that that podcast back in 1970 debated, well, who's the, who's the best Purple People Leader of them all? Um, I don't think we need to to try to discern who's number one and, and knock out the other two. Let's just vote on all of them. We've already got Alan Page on our Mount Rushmore. Um, so we got Marshall, we got Eller nominated for uh, this fourth spot. This is where it gets tricky for me now Mm -hmm. for my final candidate. Um, I've got it narrowed down to two. And even, even that was hard. I think it's between Chris Carter and John Randall. I tossed Paul Krause and I don't feel great about it. I, I think the only reason maybe being that he did a lot of damage, like in his first four years with Washington um, that represented about a third of his career production. So a meaningful portion of his career was spent with Washington um, and then came to Minnesota. And I, and you know, the same could be said for Carter, but it was not a meaningful portion in Philadelphia. It was mm-hmm. nothing like he didn't do anything in Philadelphia and then came to Minnesota and discovered his career. But Chris Carter and these, you know, the similarities between these two's resumes, Chris Carter, eight straight thousand yard seasons in his peak. John Randall, eight straight, 10 sack seasons during his peak with the Vikings. Uh, Chris Carter was a supplemental draft pick who kind of came out of nowhere. John Randall was an undrafted guy who came out of nowhere. Uh, They're both Hall of Famers. I think they both have seven or eight Pro Bowl selections. Uh, Chris Carter, though, imagine this, Luke. At age 27, he'd done nothing in the league. And I think the league was kind of more receptive to, to guys that didn't perform immediately. They were maybe a little more patient at this time. If Chris Carter plays today, I'm not sure that he lasts to age 27. But at age 27, he kind of picked up, broke out in his career, and still ended with 1,100 receptions and 130 touchdowns. Talk about a late bloomer. Um, 
I am leaning Carter here. Probably 60% Carter. I just think the, the, the pure production that he put up over his career, the round numbers, the thousand receptions, the hundred touchdowns, doing most of it in purple. Um, I think I lean Carter, who had just a little longer st- stint, I would say, with the Vikings than Randall, who went to Seattle at the end of his career. But man, do you have any, any, can you tilt me any way here, Luke? Yeah, this is so close now. We're splitting hairs, but I look at the the story, the background, the legacy, the person. John Randall was one of the greatest underdog stories in the NFL. Undersized, a little bit smaller, small school, goes undrafted in 1990, ends up signing as a UDFA, and then all of a sudden goes on. 138 sacks. I think he still holds the franchise record with like 114 quarterback takedowns. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's so close because Devil's Advocate says, well, look at the other side of the coin. You just laid out the same exact argument for Chris Carter. Fourth round by the Eagles. Ends up getting cut at 27 years old. Hanging by a thread. Let's give this one last shot. Ends up linking up with the Vikes. The rest is history. One of the greatest wide receivers in NFL history. This is so tough, man. If one of them was like the clear-cut, bona fide, a top 10 pick, pretty vanilla storyline, I would lean the underdog. They're both underdogs, though, Sam. They're both mm-hmm. underdogs. So this is really tough. I thought you were going to go with Chris Carter first and foremost over Jim Marshall. This just makes it so tough. Being two guys that we both grew up watching, and I think just have a lot of history with as we were younger Vikings fans. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, they, it's, they were both part of kind of the second most meaningful stretch of Vikings football. Like, wouldn't you say you, you have the golden arrow with the purple people leaders and grant, right? And that group contributed a lot of the, the great Vikings. We've been talking about the Ellers Marshalls Kraus, who I bumped um, Alan page. And then you had a gap until the Denny Green era and the late 90s. And then the Vikings really got resurrected uh, with the offense, Moss, Carter, Cunningham, and that turned them into the number one sports entertainment item in town. And I know we've already got Moss on Mount Rushmore, but Carter had a long stretch before Moss. I mean, 90 to 97, it was just him. He was the number one on the Vikings roster, arguably, along with Jake Reed. So... I, I think I need to go Carter. I think my heart is going to Carter. Maybe you can maybe save it. You could go Randall if you wanted to with your final one, but I, I think I got to go Chris Carter. Sorry, John. That's the way I would lean. I'm not going to go John Randall. And again, we knew this was going to be a tough list to trim down. Guys like John Randall, you mentioned Paul Krause. Chris Dolman, Tinglehoff, Ron Yeri. There's like tons of guys that we have to leave off this list, unfortunately. But if I was in your shoes, I would also lean Chris Carter just ever so slightly. We'll get to my last pick here shortly coming up. And then if we have time later on, I do have some rapid fire Vikings and NFL talkers we'll run through. But first, hey, don't forget, we're presented by FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of Locked On, America's number one sports book and official sports book partner of the MLB. MLB All-Star Game tonight. American League, slight favorite at minus 120 over under, currently sitting at seven and a half. Get in on all the action at FanDuel.com slash locked on and remember if you're a new customer get 10 times your first bet in bonus bets up to $200 download the easy to use FanDuel app and get your winnings instantly money lines parlays prop bets 
FanDuel's got everything you need to bet on the entire MLB season. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel with $200 in bonus bets back today. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, Sam, my last candidate for our Vikings Mount Rushmore. This guy gets overshadowed, I think, way too much just because of the position he played. Because if I told you any other player played 12 years for the Vikings and outside of his rookie year made it to 11 straight Pro Bowls, nine of those he was voted on All-Pro. Again, that's nine consecutive All-Pro teams. You wouldn't bat an eye, and you would say the dude is one of the most dominating players in Vikings history. And I'm talking about Randall McDaniel. Absolute beast in the interior of all those incredible Vikings offenses, mid to late 90s, early 2000s. Dude was an absolute tank at left guard. Most importantly, like Jim Marshall, durable. As durable as they come, started every single game from 1990 to 1999. Ten straight seasons, an entire decade of an all-pro interior lineman week in, week out. Just do me a favor, Sam. Close your eyes. And imagine swapping out either of our guards just currently that we got right now for Randall McDaniel and the impact that would have on the entire offense. That would literally turn mm-hmm. a weakness into a strength. We'd be talking about the Vikings with Derisaw, O'Neal, Randall McDaniel as one of the best offensive lines in the entire league. That's just how dominant this one guy was and the type of impact he had up front in the trenches. A little scouting report, just a taste of it. Before he came along, I mean, 60s, 70s, 80s, it was all smash mouth, big body bullies up front. Then he shows up, and he's got the size and strength to maul people and run people over, don't get me wrong. But he was one of the first big men who had this rare athleticism and the quick feet to be able to pull, to be able to get outside the hashes, take people out downfield as well. Him and Larry Allen, really in the 90s, really set the stage, I think, for what the new interior lineman could look like in the future. So you make a list of the most dominant interior lineman careers of all time in NFL history, and between the nine straight All-Pros, the 10 seasons of never missing a game, Randall McDaniel, it's got to be cemented as one of the top five guards in the history of the game. And if that's not enough of a case for Vikings Mount Rushmore, I mean, I don't know what is. 11 straight Pro Bowl nods, Sam. I can't even think about a player in today's era that is on that same pace. I mean, Aaron Donald, for as good as he is, he made seven straight All-Pros, but his streak got snapped last year. McDaniel made nine straight All-Pros. Imagine just having zero drop-off in play at one position for a decade straight, not one season mm-hmm. where this guy gets dinged up or just the play declines or falls off even just a little. It's unheard of, Sam. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people would even say that all pro is even a little more credible of a measuring stick than Pro Bowl, which can be a popularity contest sometimes. I, I, I suggested that you maybe consider taking Randall, and you did. You took Randall McDaniel, um, and I can't fight you on it. I'm not going to veto it. I think that I feel icky leaving John Randall off the vote, but we got to make tough decisions here. Doesn't it, doesn't it make you almost uncomfortable, though, to think that in this PFF era, we can judge these guys quantifiably? Like we can, like Matt Burke, right? Like we knew he was good, but then the PFF era began and we were able to say, oh, okay, like you are actually like the best among centers. But until then, 
you're kind of going off eye test. You're going off what people say. I don't know if teams had their own metrics for offensive linemen, but isn't it weird that we've got one of the best linemen of all time and you can't really point to a single stat to, to explain why they were good? Mm. Isn't that isn't that uncomfortable? Like yeah, kind of weird almost? Yeah. Yeah, that's it's so crazy to me how few stats there were for offensive linemen until like 2007. Um, unbelievable. But you're right. Uh, just a, a, a classic guard, you know, a mauler, physical. We had him on the Ron Johnson show last year. You can still search that out, find it on YouTube. Ron Johnson show, Randall McDaniel, great interview, great guy. Man, so we got McDaniel. We got Carter. We've got Eller. We've got Marshall. So that's the final four vote. Do we need any alterations there? Just echo what you said as far as like it's so tough to really put a value on these offensive uh-huh. linemen. I will say, and we've brought this up on the show before, pro football reference comes up with that approximate value chart, kind of an attempt to attach you know, a single number to mm-hmm. every single player since 1960. If we just pull up the four guys, Carl Eller, his AV, approximate value, so just what he was worth, was 177. The highest yearly AV was 23, which is out of this world. Randall McDaniel, his highest was 23 as well in 1995. His AV in Minnesota was 158. So Eller, 177. Randall, 158. Jim Marshall, 163. But again, that's total combined. He played 19 years for Minnesota. His highest Mm -hmm. AV was 18. That was in 1969. And then Chris Carter, his total AV just for Minnesota was 120. You know, it's really hard, again, to compare and contrast all these guys, different positions, some different eras. But that AV at least sheds a little bit of light of just how dominant some of these guys were and compared to one another, too. So I think just in this case... Eller, McDaniel, Marshall, Chris Carter. But Marshall, he's just got the volume, 19 years. So I think that one's kind of tough to decipher between. All four good picks, though, Sam. Carl Eller, Randall McDaniel, Chris Carter, Jim Marshall. The poll is up live on Lockdown Minnesota YouTube community page as we speak. If you're listening to this, go over there. Go comment below. Tell us who you think we missed, someone obvious maybe. Let us know what you think. We'll give it a week, Sam. I think we'll give it a week. Get your votes in. Then on next Tuesday's show, we'll announce the winner. What's your gut say? Who's it going to be? Actually, wait, wait. I don't want to know. I don't want to (laughs) subconsciously influence anyone's decision one way or the other. We can't be throwing any subliminal messages in there to sway the fans in any specific direction. So uh, I'm just super excited to see who it is. I'll just say that. All right. We got, I think we got about 10 minutes here, five, 10 minutes left. I got some fun little rapid fire Vikings and NFL talkers. First one up, I got three different Justin Jefferson questions, but they're all in the same realm and category. So instead of reading them off one by one, I'll just rip them off all in a row. Here we go. And this actually kind of ties back into some legendary players like Chris Carter, like we were just talking about. How many more seasons does JJ need? at the same or similar level of production to be considered A, a Hall of Fame candidate, B, considered a better receiver than Randy Moss, and C, to be considered the greatest wide receiver of all time. So Hall of Fame candidate, better than Randy Mm -hmm. Moss, or considered better than Jerry Rice. You know, arguably many people consider the greatest wide receiver of all time. 
right now through three seasons, he's got, let's just round up or down just for simplicity's sake. He's got almost 5,000 yards through three seasons. He's got 325 receptions and he's got 25 touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he needs three more seasons at that level to be a Hall of Fame candidate. Like if he had three more seasons, he could hang it up and he would have a case. Calvin Johnson ended his career early with just over 11,000 yards um, and a six-year stretch to end his career over 1,000 each year. If Justin Jefferson gets close to 10,000 yards, I mean, he's going to be in that conversation for what he represented for those six years, basically showing up day one and just ripping the league up. I think that, that there would be a case. And, and you know, sometimes the mystique actually grows if you leave early from the league. I think that if he left this league with 10,000 yards and six straight 1,000-yard seasons, maybe even a 2,000-yard season mixed in there, he would be game-changing enough to be for sure in the conversation, I think. You're right. Megatron, I just pulled it up, played nine seasons. Mm -hmm. So if JJ duplicated the same three-year numbers, right, two more times, so six more years, he would have over 200 more receptions. He'd have over 3,500 more yards, and he'd have less TDs than him by about five or 10, but same realm. Over 200 more receptions, almost 4,000 more yards as well. That's six more years. So I'm with you. You get, what, three, four more years like this? You're right there. You're, the conversation starts. You open the door to a Hall of Fame-worthy career. I, I'm with you. Being better than Randy Moss. So Moss had about a 12-year peak where he kind of dominated the NFL. Mm -hmm. Half of that was with, you know, not the Vikings, unfortunately. Also, I don't think Jefferson is ever going to change the game the way Moss did. Um, and Moss is widely considered to be, you know, one or two all time. Somebody even put in one. Like it's kind of the, I guess it's kind of the same question, right? Like if he gets to be better than a Moss, well, he might just be the best of all time. The the thing about Jerry Rice, who a lot consider the GOAT, and I'll just I'll get to the the final one here, is just how long he played, right? The numbers he put up are so staggering that it would be almost impossible for Jefferson to, to match his production. Teams aren't as patient with older... Like, look at DeAndre Hopkins right now, Luke. What has DeAndre Hopkins done to earn sort of like a demotion in this league other than get older? Not, nothing, really. I mean, Justin Jefferson will, will probably get to age 32 and it'll happen to him. Like it's happened to everyone else in this decade is like the money starts to dry up. They want to get younger, faster. Um, so I don't know if he's ever going to match Jerry Rice. I think he would need another 12, another 12 of these seasons. Am I, am I exaggerating there? Like, can you do some quick math on it? What would, what would 12, 12 more seasons? So f times four, what he's done now times four, yeah, that um, would get him about 2,000 yards short of Jerry Rice's yardage. So 12 years at that pace, he'd be about 2,000 yards short of Jerry Rice, who, again, Jerry Rice played, he started 18 seasons. So, I mean, Jerry, at that point, 12 more seasons, 15, you're getting three extra seasons from Jerry Rice. Receptions-wise, 300 times four, he'd be right there. Reception-wise, he'd be neck and neck with Jerry. The thing with both Moss and Carter, just on the small sample size and scale that we have now with J.J., 
it's the touchdowns. Where JJ's averaging, what, 25 touchdowns every three years. Randy Moss averaged 0.7 touchdowns per game for 12 years. JJ's, just in comparison, apples to apples, is averaging 0.5 touchdowns per game. 50 games, 25 touchdowns, which adds up over a 12-year career. That difference. Yeah. So I think the TDs, outside of the longevity, and can you realistically keep this pace up consistently year over year, even in a pass-happy league? I think the TDs, though, are the only thing holding him back right now. But everything else, it's crazy to think about. He is on the pace right now to catch up to Moss and Jerry in yards and receptions in about five to six less years than Moss and Jerry ultimately ended up playing. But yeah. again, yeah. still way off the pace, though, for touchdowns. So I'm not sure how people would view that if he trumped Jerry in yards and catches, but was way drastically short in touchdowns. But at the same time, you know, if he beat all those numbers in far less years, in less games, less seasons, how would voters weigh that out? I'm not sure. On one side, it's more impressive to reach those numbers in less games. But on the other side, it is almost more impressive to have the longevity to play as long mm -hmm. as Jerry Rice did, to be able to play at a high level for 18 straight years. That may be more valuable to some people and some voters. So it's a thinker, though. And I was just curious your opinion. And also, anytime we can bring up some more awareness to just how gaudy JJ stats have been these first three years. We got to jump all over that because they are ridiculous, Sam. I mean, this marriage between him and KOC clearly just scratching the surface, which is kind of crazy to think about. Any final thoughts on this discussion? J yeah, JJ does have the benefit of a longer season and a more pass happy league, as you know, the phrase that you like, pass happy league. And he's going to get the stats are going to be bigger. Like even Randy Moss for all the deep balls that he caught, um, you know, 1300, 1400 yards. That was kind of his peak. He had one outlier year with, uh, with Minnesota in 2003 where he had 1600, but JJ, we can kind of expect that from him every single year. Right. And he has the extra game, which helps him a lot. I think that there's a legitimate conversation to be had that it wouldn't take that many more seasons of Jefferson doing this to be in the conversation to be a better Vikings receiver than Randy Moss, because we have to be realistic about this. Randy Moss's Vikings production was pretty short lived, right? I mean, the, the second stint was basically nothing um, 98 through 04. So a seven year run with the Vikings, less than 10,000 yards as a Minnesota Viking transformative. Yes, but it wouldn't be hard for Jefferson to exceed those Moss numbers as a Viking and be a better Vikings receiver than Moss. Now, I think actually Carter might be the one that he has a harder time catching because Carter had the numbers with Minnesota, and that's why Carter's on our Mount Rushmore list. That's true. And, and as much that we talk about Randy Moss, hometown kid, hometown hero, right? Obviously, grew up in purple, drafted by the Vikings. Mm -hmm. Terrell Owens, just now that I pulled these stats up, and I know T.O. always gets talked about as top five, top ten receiver, but Terrell Owens had just as many touchdowns, only three less, more yards, and more receptions than Randy Moss. That's pretty wild because I think Moss, the number one thing I think is touchdowns. It trumps everybody. Marvin Harrison, Larry Fitzgerald, Chris Carter, all these guys. Moss has got the touchdowns. But T.O., only three shy. Granny played one more year. 
but three shy of Randy Moss when it was all said and done. I didn't realize the stats match up so close, splitting hairs between Randy Moss and T.O. And granted, Randy Moss, again, as we've kind of already discussed, did change the way we looked at the wide receiver position before T.O. ever hit the scene. Um, all right, that's a fun one, though. Next one up, if the Vikings can't get a deal done with Daniil Hunter, would you give the green light to Daniil Hunter for Chase Young? player for player swap. I brought this up to Reggie Wilson last week. I'm just curious your quick 30, 60 second thought. Yeah. I don't think the Washington says yes, but I would do it in a heartbeat. I, I young is young. He's 24 years old. He's got so much more career left. I think the Vikings He's also been to- hurt a lot though. Couple season ending injuries. He's only been healthy half of his career so far and they didn't mm-hmm. decide to sign him for that fifth year option as well. So maybe they're not as gung ho on him, maybe as aggressive to go resign him and keep him a part of the team until they see a little bit more from him. Yeah, and I guess I'd want to know too like what's it going to cost to sign him to that second contract because That's the thing. That's yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, if you can get a bargain on Chase Young going into his prime, mm-hmm. I want that. Yes, um, I would. I would take that value. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right, Luke. I, I was thinking you'd need to toss in Hunter and something more, but maybe with the injuries, maybe not. Um, that might be a little more straight up. That's a good. That's a good thinker. But I would pull the trigger. Yes. Yeah, I think it comes down to money. If he balls out like you're hoping he does, his asking price, being a former top two pick. It's going to be close to 25 mil. And granted, I mean, you mentioned he's five years younger than Daniil, which is nice. But as far as injuries go, again, he's not any better at staying on the field thus far. Whereas Hunter, mm-hmm. I think, just from the conversations we've had on this show, I think you can get him and lock him up close to maybe 20 million or so for similar type production. So I'm not sure it's very realistic one way or the other, if both teams would agree to that, but I think it comes down to money to the NFL. We go, which quarterback is more likely to come back down to earth in 2023, Geno Smith or Brock Purdy? Geno. Geno. I I think. Yeah. I um, think that's the common answer is Geno. Yeah, I think that until proven otherwise, the Geno Smith season was an outlier. Um, Brock Purdy might just be really good. I mean, that's that's all the information we have on Brock Purdy, and I'm willing to believe that Brock Purdy is actually pretty good, and I feel like the eye test sort of supports that. Like, imagine giving Purdy a little more time with Shanahan. He's only going to get smarter. The weapons haven't changed. The scheme is still going to be really good. I think Purdy is just in a perfect spot for him to blossom. Whereas I, I've got too much ugly on the Geno Smith resume. I mean, you've got one, two, three, four. I mean, you've got a lot of bad before he kind of took off. And his taking off was going nine and eight, right? I mean, 30 touchdowns, 11 picks. Really good season. Really good season for Geno Smith. Comeback player of the year. Absolutely. But at age 32, now 33, I I think I would still bet my money that he regresses. A lot of those early years were with the Jets, who, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and go deep in the weeds and pull up every single receiving core and O-line and running back, but I got to imagine... 2013 to 2016 New York Jets didn't have a lot of weapons from what I remember to play with. And I'm with you four out of five times. I say Gino because all the reasons you laid out, Brock Purdy might just be good, gets to play under Kyle Shanahan. He's got the weapons. Here's the one out of five case I'm going to give you. And here's something that just doesn't seem to get discussed a lot when you talk about the Niners. 
Sam, name one offensive lineman for the 49ers, not named Trent Williams. Um, you probably can't, Mc, which is Mc, fine. Bur, Burford, McKivitz. Um, I can't think of the other name. Yeah, I got I got two. Burford, McKivitz, Brendel, Aaron Banks. I mean, all of a sudden you lose Mike McGlinchey to Denver and it doesn't exactly give me a ton of confidence, especially knowing Brock Purdy's coming off that bad elbow injury. He needs protection. Gino, on the other hand, totally rebuilt, rejuvenized offensive line. They nailed both the tackle picks last year. New weapon in Jackson Smith and Jigba. You got DK already. You got Lockett. You got Noah Fant. And I just think the floor might be higher with Gino than it is for Purdy at the end of the day. That's all. Tough one to think about, though, and it's a good question. Brings up some good conversations and topics. Last one I got. Mm-hmm. What does Kirk Cousins need to do to become, seems to be the A topic today, a Hall of Fame candidate by the time he hangs it up? What does Kirk Cousins need to do from here on out to be considered in the conversation for a Hall of Fame quarterback by the time he retires? What do you think, Sam? Yeah, it's it's going to take a lot for Cousins, and I think it would need to be one of two things. Either Super Bowl. Super Bowl would probably get him into that Eli Manning territory where, okay, the stats might not be over. And Cousins has better stats than Eli Manning, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but a Super Bowl would sort of clinch things for him. Otherwise, he's Matt Ryan, right? Matt Ryan even had one Super Bowl appearance. Uh, Kirk Cousins would need a Super Bowl. Shy of that, He's going to need to do it in quantity. And based on his health, he might he might be able to play until he's 40. He'd have another six years of stats under his belt. Uh, if you look at sort of his career averages, he could add another 20,000 passing yards to his ledger, give him 57,000 passing yards. I think just on quantity alone, if he can play till 40, he would probably do it. And you're also talking about 400 touchdown passes another six years. So again, don't know where he plays next after Minnesota, but they would probably, I'm not sure that he's going to get the vote of confidence to get like a multi-year deal to be a starter somewhere. I'm talking three, four years. He teams could view him as a bridge. Like, okay, well let's do two years of cousins uh, and then go find someone younger. So it's going to be hard for him. I think to play that long, unless he wins that super bowl, like right now and gets a lifetime contract. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the ticket either make, you know, win the big game or you got to stay healthy for another half a decade. Yeah. Right now he's 28th all time in passing yards and 23rd all time in touchdowns thrown. Now, granted, there's a couple other active players ahead of him on the list, like Russell Wilson and Matt Stafford, who are going to continue to improve and increase their stats as well. But let's just say he plays four more years and average 30 touchdowns a pop. Not crazy. That puts him close to a top 10 all-time, if not right in that 11-12 range, right outside the top 10, which is kind of ironic because that's about what he's known for as of now. That's the running joke. Not a top 10 quarterback just outside of it. Yardage-wise, if he averages, let's say, 4K, 4,000 yards for four more seasons, that would, again, put him right outside the top 10 all-time once Matt Stafford hangs it up and Russell Wilson and those guys. And maybe he plays six more seasons to 40, like you said, but end of the day, I think you need a Super Bowl appearance at bare minimum, if not a Super Bowl win, if not even two to be in that conversation. You get there, maybe 
with four or five, six more years at this trajectory, maybe you can at least have a conversation, but you need to win one for people to take you seriously. I think you're right. I think he's close, but probably no cigar. I mean, let me ask you this. Does Matt Ryan make it to the Hall of Fame with no Super Bowl wins, one Super Bowl appearance, but yet top 10 in a lot of stats? Yeah, I don't look at Matt Ryan as a Hall of Fame quarterback, but maybe over time he ages favorably um, with the voters. Sometimes you need some separation between their career and the vote to really see it clearly. But uh, I've been so soured on Matt Ryan because of the way that his career came to a close. I mean, it was just a, a very steady, linear decline. After that Super Bowl appearance, it was under 500, five years yeah. in a row. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, again, look at his record. It's fine. Touchdowns, very good. Yardage. Top 10 in touchdowns and yardage, yeah. all-time, seventh, all-time in passing yards. And you know what? all-time in touchdowns. And you know what? I can't be a hypocrite here because if if Kirk Cousins ended his career with these stats, right? I would probably say he's in. So right. I I guess I got to be on Team Ryan, even though I don't think it was like that tremendous of a career because he didn't have a whole lot of success. It's crazy how much we weigh, and it makes sense, but it's crazy how much we weigh those Super Bowl wins. Eli Manning, he wins two, almost an automatic. Big Ben, yeah, outstanding career without the Super Bowls, but the fact that he won two, automatic. Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan, no Super Bowls, but still top 10 in so many categories, all time, mind you. Top 10 in yards, top 10 in, in touchdowns thrown. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to mull that one over and think about that one mm-hmm. long and hard. It's just crazy and interesting how much again we weigh hosting that Lombardi Trophy at the end of the day. Uh, good stuff today, Sam. That's a wrap. Make sure you go get your vote in up on the Lockdown Minnesota Sports YouTube community page. And while you're there, remember like, rate, review, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Join us every day for another episode of the Football Party, your one-stop shop breakdown of everything Minnesota Vikings. We're a podcast too, free and available, all platforms. Subscribe. Drop us that five-star review. That's Sam Ekstrom on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom. He co-hosts the Ron Johnson Show every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Football Party, part of the Lockdown Sports Minnesota Network. We're back tomorrow with the Mailbag Edition with Carol Evans, very own Reggie Wilson. But until then, I'm Luke Inman on Twitter, at Luke underscore Spinman, signing off.